good morning. Hey, uh, welcome again to Faith. Uh, whether you join us in person today, whether you join us online, I'm Mike, one of the pastors on staff here. It's great to be back with you again this week. If you're like, what is with that ugly blue shirt, right? All right, so here's the deal. Uh, you, if you look around in the lobby today, you'll see a number of people wearing these shirts and uh, these are shirts, uh, Pastor Eric, our youth pastor, and a number of our students got to go to Boundary Waters, and the folks who are wearing these shirts got to go to Boundary Waters with them. Just an amazing week in northern Minnesota with some of our students, although I am happy to be back in the land of bathrooms with walls and flushing toilets. So, um, yeah, it's just something different. Uh, uh, my neighbors are grateful for that as well. Um, so, uh, but we are in the midst of a series here at church entitled Big Ten. And if you're just joining us today, uh, this is a series all about God's Big Ten, about the Ten Commandments. And each week in the series, we're just taking one of these commandments and just kind of unpacking it and hopefully seeing that in the Ten Commandments, we have foundational principles for God's people. Principles that are meant to, to set us free to live our best lives. Principles that are meant to protect us from things in life that would destroy us. And so again, each week we're just taking one of these commandments, unpacking it, and hopefully seeing this in that. Now, uh, this week, no cheating, all right? We're on number seven. Can anybody tell me what the seventh commandment is? No adultery, that's good. See what I did there, no cheating, all right? Um, <laughs> That was slick. So uh, we're, we're, we're on number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. And so here's the deal. With this being the commandment we're going after today, I want to issue a warning and then give you permission. All right? Warning is kind of simple. You might even be able to see this one coming. Because we're talking about the seventh commandment today, we're going to be talking about sexuality today. There's really no way to do this commandment justice and not go there. And so especially if you're, you're on the live stream and you get somebody in the room who's maybe younger and you don't want to have this conversation with them after the service, all right, we're going to give you a minute to, you know, get them doing something else. Uh, but th this is your official warning. You know this is coming. Um, also, they'll want to give you permission. Want to give you permission to do a couple things today. Want to give you permission to be uncomfortable. For some of us, this topic is just an uncomfortable topic in general, let alone at church. All right? You're like, well, why are we going there? It, it's, it, the Bible talks about this a lot. And not to talk about it would be to fail to teach the full counsel of God. Our culture is forever screaming at us about this topic. And it doesn't always agree with what the Bible has to say. And so we want to present to you God's side of the conversation because you're forever getting our culture side. So if you're uncomfortable, that's okay. You have my permission to feel uncomfortable today, right? You also have my permission to be offended today. By the time we get done, I'm probably going to offend all kinds of people. Church people, non-church people, straight people, gay people, married people, single people. I will be you know, an equal opportunity offender. Um, you have my permission to be offended. Because many of us, some of us, we've driven a stake in the ground. We knew exactly what we were doing. Others of us, we didn't even realize it. But we have been exposed to our culture's view on sexuality so much that some of us intentionally, some of us unwittingly, we've adopted it. And there will be things that I say today that are going to run against the grain of what our culture is telling us. And if you find yourself getting you know, all bristly about it and, and offended, you have my permission to be offended. 
Hopefully it's the content, not the presentation, but we will say things that are, that are going to be countercultural today. So all that said, let's take a minute and pray. If you need to get somebody out of the room, you can do that, and then we'll jump into things. Father, just as uh, we have this conversation today, we want to ask that you would please be part of it. Um, for, some, for some people, this is such a difficult topic. And there's so many wounds and there's so much heartache that surrounds it. God, please open our hearts and our minds to your truth. Help us to see just the gift that you have given us and how you're trying to set us free and protect us in this commandment with it. Father, we want to pray for some of our families right here at Faith, uh, just for Jay McFadden as he is back in the hospital again this morning, that you help the doctors figure out what is going on there. Father, we want to pray for the Renas family, for Kathy, for Kevin, for Lydia, as Nathan passed away yesterday. And they are all just mourning his loss. Father, we pray for your hand of healing on that family, just that they would sense that you are right there with them in the midst of this. Father, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, to help illustrate this commandment, we're going to go way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis uh, 39. And um, we're going to look at a very familiar narrative, uh, one that surrounds a young man named Joseph, his boss, Mr. Potiphar, and his boss's wife, Mrs. Potiphar. Now again, Joseph's narrative is very familiar. Uh, it, it all starts with a bunch of drama with him and his brothers. Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt. And um, Joseph, in, in a heartbeat, loses his freedom, his family, and his future. And yet, in spite of everything that happens to Joseph, the writer of Genesis tells us that the, that the Lord was with Joseph. Regardless of what people did to him, how they treated him, how they felt about him, how his circumstances unfolded, God was with him. And at some point, God causes Joseph to prosper as he is working for Mr. Potiphar as a slave. Now, Mr. Potiphar is a smart man. He's an observant individual. He, Joseph catches his eye. And Potiphar can tell, like, it doesn't matter what this kid touches, it turns to gold. And so Potiphar wants to get everything he possibly can. Just, I mean, almost without exception, he wants Joseph's hands on it if it's in his house. The kid's got the Midas touch. This is a win. In fact, Genesis tells us that Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. He's like, just give it to Joseph. He's going to take care of it. It's going to go great. Now, unfortunately for Joseph, it's not just Mr. Potiphar's eye who he catches. He catches Mrs. Potiphar's eye as well. The writer of Genesis tells us next, now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph. See, Joseph lives in, in this crazy world of contradictions when it comes to, to sexuality. Try and imagine this if you can. Joseph lives in a world where, on one hand, if you're physically attractive, you, you get attention 
that other people don't get. You are afforded opportunities that other people aren't afforded. And yet on the other hand, if you are physically attractive, instead of seeing you as an individual to be known and to be loved, some people will see you as an object to be had. Crazy world of contradictions that he lived in. This is what Joseph is going through with Mrs. Potiphar. She sees Joseph and she's like, this kid's got a chiseled physique. He's got this handsome face. He's got these dreamy eyes. They're like pools you could just go swimming in. It's almost like the writer of Genesis is describing Pastor James, right? He is smoldering so bad if I touch that TV, I get burned, right? All right? And so she, she, you know, (laughs) thank you, Pastor James. So, but she sees Joseph, she's like, this kid is, mm, right? So she comes after Joseph with her number one most creative pickup line. Here it is. Come to bed with me. Now, can I just point out an inequity in the sexes here, all right? What constitutes a creative, effective pickup line for women and men? Not the same thing, all right? All she's got to do is just communicate that she's interested and it's going to take her where she wants to go, all right? Men have to come up with these elaborate, creative, subtle kind of pickup lines that, you know, move women along. She just got to let them know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm game, and usually this is going to work. In this instance, though, it doesn't. Joseph says this to Mrs. Potiphar. He says, with me in charge, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, here's what we're going to do. As, as, as we talk about th- this narrative and we, and we think about the, the seventh commandment and sexuality and what the seventh commandment is trying to teach us about sexuality, we're going to stop throughout the narrative and just ask and answer questions about sexuality. And, and we're, we're going to put the question out there and see how Mrs. Potiphar answers that question and how Joseph answers that question, how our culture answers that question, how the Bible answers that question. And we're, we're going to stop with, with our, our first question right here because Joseph's answer to, to Mrs. Potiphar reveals how they think differently about this first question. And the question is very simple. What's the nature of sex? Like, how do we define sexuality? And you're like, well, that's a pretty simple question, Pastor. And I, on one level it is, and on another level it's far more complex than we oftentimes think, and often more complex than what we're presented with. See, for Mrs. Potiphar, sex was just a physical thing. It was just, it was just a biological act. It's just two bodies coming together in what is hopefully a gratifying experience, and that's all there is to it, and that's why she could justify asking Joseph to do what she wanted him to do. If it's just a physical thing, why not? If it feels good, just do it. Now, here's the thing. The way Mrs. Potiphar thinks about sexuality This is not something reserved to to the ancient Egyptian world. This is alive and well in our world today. For example, just back in April, Mashable.com 
posted an article entitled, Best Hookup Apps and Dating Sites to Find Casual Sex with No Strings Attached. That's the title of the article. Buckle in. I'm going to read you some of the article. I'll give you the edited version. All right? When we think of dating sites, we usually think about sites like eHarmony and Match and other marriage-minded options. But not every single person is trying to participate in the next cuffing season. That's code for marriage, right? Not, every, not, every, not all single people want to participate in the next cuffing season. Sometimes you just want sex. Enter the hookup app revolution. Apps specifically designed for hooking up operate on the philosophy that meeting someone special doesn't have to be this big complicated thing. Besides, sometimes it's nice just to feel those butterflies of meeting someone new, even if you know it's not going to lead to a relationship. When it comes to dating apps, you probably don't mind long questionnaires and in-depth profiles when you're looking, uh, but when you're just looking for a casual hookup, that all seems unnecessary. Sure, you want to engage that you're at least a little bit compatible, that you're not hooking up with a complete psychopath, but the best hookup apps have quick and easy bios or prompts that give you insight into who you're going to get down and dirty with. Whether you want to pay for a hookup app or not is totally up to you, but we will say that Tinder and Hinge have great free versions of the app, and you can find a hookup by the weekend without paying a cent. Mashable has a multi-continental reach. It's read all over the planet. They have 7.5 million Facebook followers. The idea that sex is just a physical, biological thing, the idea of it, that, that, that that conclusion leads to, which says, hey, if it feels good, do it. Why not? That idea is alive and well in our world today. Now, Joseph thought differently about sexuality. He answers the question differently. And, and you, you see some of his different thinking, again, in his objection that he presents to Mrs. Potiphar. You know, he's like, hey, I, my, my master's withheld nothing from me except you. You're his wife. He's like, how then could I do such a thing, a wicked thing, and sin against God? See, in the mind of Joseph... There, there, there are relational, emotional components to sexuality. There are, there are spiritual components. If Joseph was to define sex for us, I think he would define it this way. I think he would tell us that it is a physical celebration of, a, of an ever-growing emotional relationship resting on the foundation of a lifelong covenant. It is a physical celebration. Two people coming together physically in the most intimate way possible. But it is a celebration of an ever-growing emotional relationship. And that relationship is meant to rest on a covenant that two people have made before God and witnesses in the state where they say, and it's you and me forever until one of us is dead. Now, Joseph wouldn't deny there's a physical aspect of sexuality. It would be ludicrous for him to do so. He just realizes it's not just physical. It is deeply emotional and it is deeply spiritual as well. And here's the thing, whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, deep down inside, we all know Joseph is right. We all know he's on to something. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. 
let's play Would You Rather right here at church. You're like, what do you mean, would you rather? It's a real simple game. I'm going to give you two options. Would you rather this? Would you rather that? They're the only two options. You have to pick one. You're like, that sounds miserable. That's kind of part of the game. So here we go. Would you rather have somebody sucker punch you in the gut or would you rather have somebody grope you inappropriately? Would you, you're like, this is the game, all right? Would you rather have somebody sucker punch you in the gut or grope you inappropriately? Now, I'm not going to have you, don't, don't call your answers out. <laughs> Hold on, all right? You don't, no raising your hands. You don't need to put this on your connection card. You just keep the answer right in here, all right? But you pick one or the other. Now, without taking a poll, I'll bet you, most, if not all of us, maybe there's somebody really desperate for some action out there, all right? Most, if not all of us would be like, I'll take the sucker punch in the gut. Thank you very much. Now, if sex is only a physical thing and a sucker punch in the gut is way more painful and way more physically traumatic than being touched inappropriately, how does that work if sex is just a physical thing? If sex sex is just a physical thing, why is it? that probably few, if maybe none of us, were uncomfortable with me mentioning being sucker punched in the gut. But I bet you all kinds of us were uncomfortable with the mere mention of inappropriate touch. If sex is just a physical thing, why is it when somebody gets sucker punched, we would say things to them like, okay, that was lousy, that was, you know, they shouldn't have done that. But get over it. Move on with your life. It's not that big of a deal. But we would never say that to somebody who was touched inappropriately. It's because deep down inside, almost as if by divine design, we know in a way that is inescapable, this isn't just physical. There are emotional and spiritual components woven deep into the act of sexuality can't avoid it. It's inescapable. So, back to our story. Miss Potiphar comes to Joseph with her number one pickup line, come to bed with me. Think about how easy it would have been for Joseph to say yes to that. He's a kid, he's in his late teens, his testosterone is running at all-time highs, his hormones are literally raging. He's had a difficult life. It had been easy for him to justify this with, you know, like, I deserve an escape. I'm running Potiphar's house. I've got all this stress. I've earned this kind of reward. And yet Joseph tells her no. Again, he, you know, goes through this spiel. I'm in, I'm in charge of the house. You know, I'm, you're, you're his wife. My, he's, she's, I, he's withheld nothing from me except for you. He's like, I can't do this. And again, we, we see here in Joseph's response, thinking that's different on his end than Mrs. Potiphar's when it comes to our second question. Second question is simply this. Is my sexual activity really anybody else's business? Like, what I'm doing in the bedroom, does anybody got their, have the right to stick their nose into my bedroom and tell me what I can and cannot do? See, for Mrs. Potiphar... She has in mind that 
her, her, her sexual business, this is her business and her business alone. You know, her and the, the person she's having it with. As long as, as long as her and Joseph are both on the same page, it's good. What, what happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom. This is nobody's business but ours. Nobody has the right to tell us this is inbounds, out of bounds. Nobody has the right to restrict my personal freedom. This is nobody's business but mine, according to Mrs. Potiphar. Now, again, Joseph thinks differently about this. You know, Joseph realizes that the, the, the impact is different, that the reach is different. Mrs. Potiphar is like, hey, this isn't anybody's business but the two people who are having it. Nobody has a right to say anything to us about this. But Joseph is like, no, no, no. You're telling me what you know, happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom. Joseph's like, no, what happens in the bedroom doesn't stay in the bedroom. It, it, when two people are interacting intimately, it doesn't just impact their two lives. It reaches beyond that. Joseph's like, listen, if I do this with you, when your husband figures this out, it's going to devastate him. If I do this with you, when, when your kids begin to feel the impact of this, it's going to devastate them. Their security is tied deeply to the stability of their biological parents' relationship. Your husband figures out we did this. It's not going to be good for your marriage. It's not going to be good for your kids. Joseph understands what happens in the bedroom doesn't stay in the bedroom, and the reach of sexuality is, it goes way beyond just the two people who are having this. For him, for him to do this with Mrs. Potiphar would be for him to take things from other people he doesn't have the right to take. And again, again, whether we like it or not, deep down inside, if we're willing to be intellectually honest, we know Joseph is right. If you've ever been part of, a, of an affair, either as the perpetrator or the victim, or if you've ever had a front row seat to an affair in another couple's life, you know Joseph is right. You, you have seen, or some of you have felt, how devastating an affair is to the partner who's the victim. What happened in the bedroom did not stay in the bedroom. You have watched, you have witnessed firsthand just kids come unglued emotionally. As things are happening in their world, they don't understand. They don't know how to express what's going on inside of them. They act out severely in an effort to express what they don't have words for to express and they, uh, what they don't know how to process appropriately. What two people did together impacted way more people than just the two of them. Even, even single people who aren't married who are being intimate. They think, well, uh, we're, both in, we're both good with this. Neither of us married. We're not hurting anybody. I am telling you right now, you are taking things from people you have no right to take. You are taking things from your future spouse that they will want someday that you don't have a right to take. You are taking things from your partner's future spouse that they will want someday that you don't have a right to take. What happens in the bedroom it never stays in the bedroom. The impact of sexuality. Sexuality is a 
powerful force. It is an amazing gift that God has given us. But as such, it is a powerful force. And its reach goes beyond just the two people who are having it. Joseph's like, I, I can't do this thing. You're his wife. I'd be taking stuff that's not mine to take. Mrs. Potiphar's like, no, this is just you and me. Two very different perspectives. So Joseph tells her no. And she keeps coming. She, she, <laughs> Mrs. Potiphar, she keeps coming. We're told day after day she comes after Joseph. Come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. This woman is relentless. She is persistent in what she wants from Joseph. Now, I would argue that Mrs. Potiphar's persistence, that there's more to do with that than just her physical urges. That Mrs. Potiphar's persistence, it reflects how she answers our next question. And the next question is simply this. What role does sex play in fulfilling and defining me? What what role does my sexuality play in in leading to a fulfilling, meaningful, joy-filled kind of life? And what role does my sexuality play in defining at who I am right at the core of my being? Now, I would contend one of the reasons Mrs. Potiphar just won't let up is she believes that, that to say no to a particular sexual desire she has would be to deny herself a fulfillment in life. She is convinced, hey, like, if, if I have this desire, I have to fulfill this desire, and if I don't, I will not be fulfilled in life. To say no to a sexual desire is to rob herself of fulfillment in life. Now, I also would contend that Mrs. Potiphar is going so aggressive because she's convinced her sense of identity is found first and foremost in her sexuality. The thing that defines her more than anything else is who she is sexually. These two ideas, these two ways of answering this question are driving her behavior. Now again, Joseph thinks differently. Joseph tells her no, and and Joseph, he, he thinks differently and tells her no because he realizes to go this way at the end of the day, is really idolatry. If if you remember all the way back to commandments number one and two, we talked about have no other gods before me, you know, don't, don't, and don't worship idols. And we said to worship something is to give that thing the place of first importance in our lives, to be willing to sacrifice all kinds of things for that thing, and to, to trust in that thing to fulfill us. For Mrs. Potiphar, her sexuality is the most important factor in her life right now. She's willing to sacrifice all kinds of other things to fulfill her sexual desires. And she trusts that that is what is going to leave her fulfilled in life. That has become her functional God, whether she calls it one or not. Joseph's like, hey, if I go here, this is idolatry. I'm not going here. Not only so, but Joseph has figured out just because I have a desire doesn't mean that that desire is necessarily good or right or should be fulfilled. Just 
Mrs. Potiphar, maybe some of us live in a world where we are told, listen, if you have this desire, the mere presence of that desire in your life is proof positive. The desire is good, it is right, and it should be fulfilled. Joseph is like, no, no, no. Just because I have a desire doesn't mean it's good, right, or I should fulfill it. And again, the crazy thing is, is we in, our culture is so inconsistent about this. Like on one hand, we agree with Joseph, and on, on the other hand, we vehemently disagree with him. So, so like, if I was to say to you, man, as far back as I can remember, like since I was a kid, I've had this desire to deal with my anger in a violent, aggressive, physical kind of way. You'd be like, dude, that's not good. If I was to say to you, I have a genetic predisposition to deal with my stress and anxiety by abusing hardcore drugs, you'd be like, that's not right. Right? But we will say, hey, if you have these sexual desires, regardless of what they are, their mere presence in your life makes them good and right, and you should pursue them. And yet, we're not completely consistent with that. Because even still in our culture today, somebody says, you know, well, you know, we will tell the person who wants to be in a polygamous relationship, ah, no, you only get one wife. You don't get a pile. Uh-uh. You know, we, we will say to the person who wants to be in an incestuous relationship today, that is disgusting. We will say to the person who wants to be in a, in a sexual relationship with an underage child that, you know, we need to lock you up. We still have areas where love is not love. See, Joseph realizes just because I have this desire doesn't mean it's good, right, or should be fulfilled. There needs to be a standard beyond the presence of this desire in my life for determining whether this is inbounds or out of bounds. In our culture today, we're radically inconsistent with this. Joseph is not. Joseph realizes just because I have the desire doesn't mean I should follow it. He also realizes, I don't have to have my particular sexual desires fulfilled in order to have a fulfilling life. Like, I can have a desire, not have that desire fulfilled, and still have a meaningful, purposeful, fulfilling life. And I would point to Jesus as an argument that Joseph is right. See, the Jesus of the Bible was never married. And the Jesus of the Bible maintained the sexual ethic of the Bible. The sexual ethic of the Bible is sex is reserved for the context of a biblical marriage. Outside of that, a person is called a celibacy and purity. That means the Jesus of the Bible never had his sexual desires fulfilled. And it leads you to come to one of two conclusions about the Jesus of the Bible. Either you have poor, hopeless, despondent, unfulfilled, waste of a life Jesus... Because he never had his sexual desires fulfilled. Or Jesus is still the model of what it means to be a fully actualized human being, even though he never had his sexual desires fulfilled. Because our sexuality is not the linchpin for fulfillment in life. Joseph figures this out. He gets this down. So, Mr. Potiphar comes after Joseph. Wants these things. Joseph says, nope, 
Nope, just because it's there doesn't mean it's good. Nope, this isn't going to fill me. And then finally, Joseph figures out that his sexuality, this isn't the thing that should define him. His identity isn't meant to be found here. See, in our culture today, we are, we are forever told who we are sexually, this is the number one identifying marker of who we are as human beings. We will say things like, I'm straight. I am straight. This defines me. I am gay. This is the number one identity marker. I'm bi, I'm trans, I'm married, I'm single. The list goes on and on and on. Joseph's like, no, 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 no. Who I am at the core of my being, my number one identity marker is meant to be found in who I am in relationship to God. I am a child of God. Are there other things that impact my identity? Sure. Father, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor, I'm, yeah, I'm a host of different things. I am a child of God. That is the foundation. Every other identity marker comes after that. And every other identity marker is meant to be brought under the authority of who I am as a child of God. And if I have another identity marker that would cause me, to, to, that would ask me to act in a way that violates who I am as a child of God, I bring that authority, I bring that identity marker under the authority of who I am as a child of God. Because that is what is meant to define me, not who I am sexually. In, in, in Mrs. Potiphar's world and our world today, this aspect of our life gets way more attention and weight brought to it than it was ever meant to have. So again, Mrs. Potiphar comes after Joseph day after day. He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Now, one last question that we're going to ask today. Here's this amazing, powerful gift of sexuality that God has given us. We, we live in, the world hasn't changed much. We still live in a world where there are things that can completely take that off the rails. So the, the, the last question we want to think about is how do I stay safe sexually? How do I make sure the gift stays a gift that will bless me and bless those around me rather than becoming a destructive force? And really, we could spend an entire Sunday just talking about this. We don't have time for that, all right? One answer, to, to, we give you a host of answers, one answer that Joseph reveals to us, and that's boundaries. Real simple. Like, Joseph has this moral line. He's not going to sleep with Mrs. Potiphar. He is not going to cross this line. But Joseph puts up a fence in front of the line. He's like, hey, this woman keeps coming after me. I'm not even going to be in the same room with her. There's, there, there's no moral absolute for Joseph in being in a room with Mrs. Potiphar. There's nothing wrong with him being in a room with Mrs. Potiphar. But he understands, wise people put up fences short of the lines they don't want to cross. If I don't go over the fence, I'm never going to go over the line. The day I got up to write this sermon, I woke up, turned on my cell phone, and immediately had a text message go off. It read this. Hey, baby. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> it's never a good sign. Remember me? Let's chat here. I added some of my photos. 
Now, if I'm just, I have no idea whose number that is, and don't, if I see any cell phones out taking pictures of this, I'm like, <laughs> you're busted, all right? Um, two things happened when I read this text. If I'm just being honest, temptation kicked in. I was tempted to click the link. I mean, it could be a long-lost friend, and I'd recognize him through the pictures, and we could be reunited, right? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> right? I was tempted. Second thing that happened is boundaries kicked in. Immediately woke my wife up, handed her the phone, and said, hey, look at this. And we hit the block button, and we deleted the text. See, I, th- there are fences that I've put up in my world to keep me from going over the line that represents the moral absolute. If you're a woman, I won't meet with you alone. I'll meet with you here at church if there are other people in the building. I'll meet with you in public, you know, like a Panera Bread's one of my favorites. I just, I don't meet with female members of the congregation by myself. Is there any morally wrong? No, it's a fence. Or all my communications are on my church cell phone and my church computer and my church email account. So at any point in time, like I don't have a burner phone, if you email me on my personal Gmail account, I'll immediately forward it to my church Outlook account. We'll continue the conversation from there. So at any point in time, the leadership in the church can say, hey, we need to see access to your communications. With the Outlook stuff, they don't even have to ask. They can just access it. If I don't have anything to hide, I don't have anything to worry about. Or um, another good one, like somebody does something that makes me nervous, somebody sends me something like this, I tell. If I, get, if I get a text, an email, if I have a conversation that makes me uncomfortable, I feel like it's inappropriate, church leadership's going to know and my wife is going to know. Again, are these moral absolutes that I have to have? No. The, the, the line is there. I know where the line is. Wisdom tells me put up a fence in front of the line that keeps you from the line. It'll protect you. So the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. What God is trying to help us understand is that our sexuality is a powerful gift that he has given us. It is deeply emotional. It is deeply spiritual. It isn't just a physical act. It, 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 its reach goes well beyond just the two people who are having it. And yet as powerful as it is, It is not the source of fulfillment in our lives. It is not the place where we find our identity. It's a gift. It's meant to be the icing. It was never meant to be the cake. And so God tells us, hey, put up fences. Be cautious. Be careful. Do what you need to do. Be wise so that you can make sure the gift stays a gift and a blessing. Not something that would destroy you or those around you. Let's pray together. Father, just as we've looked at this narrative, as we've had this conversation, for some of us in person, for some of us online, it's been difficult. It's been difficult because of where we have been in the past, what we've experienced, or maybe even where we're at right now. God, you are the the God of love. You are the God of redemption. 
You are the God who loves to pour forgiveness into our lives to redeem what is broken and to bring healing and life again. And for those of us who are maybe struggling today, for those of us who know someone who is struggling, we just want to lift these struggles up to you. Where it's appropriate, we want to ask for forgiveness. We want to ask that you would bring healing to choices, to abuse, to pain. That you would restore what the locusts have eaten and that you would bring life and redemption again to this area of our existence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.